Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to the New Testament letter of Jude, at least for the last time in the foreseeable future. Uh, We have moved from the greeting of Jude to the closing here quite quickly. Uh, This is a closing like no other in the New Testament. Uh, The form of doxology is is similar. That part is familiar. We're going to hear how God is addressed, how glory is ascribed to Him. His praise endures forever and ends with this. Uh, amen. That part is familiar. Um, but given where Jude has been in this letter, what he has drawn attention to, uh, it, it carries a special force with it, a special longing uh, that we find in this doxology. Remember that Jude did not set out to write what we have here. Though we know it's exactly what the Spirit of God uh, intended him to write and distribute uh, to the churches. But he wanted to write about our common salvation. We see in verse 3. But then he goes on to make this appeal to the church after hearing about how the gospel and the grace of God is being twisted by those who claim to follow the Lord Jesus, but other lives are certainly anything but that. Uh, and, they're, and they're leading in the church, or claiming to be leaders uh, in the church. In these last couple of verses, he seems to be getting back to verse 3. Back to our common salvation in Jesus Christ. Church, this is what you must hear before I close this letter. Uh, It's a doxology, a word of of praise to God and all of His glory. That's really been etched upon the hearts, upon the lips of the church ever since uh, it's been given. So I want us to repeat these words together. Uh, You could do so just seated there, but read with me or recite with me these last couple of verses uh, in Jude's letter. You ready? Here we go. Verse 24. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord. Be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, and now, and forever. Amen. Lord, it is a great amen, uh, these words that you have given to us. We are grateful for them. This word of of glory and praise uh, that Jude closes this letter with. Lord, we pray that uh, you would work it into our hearts, into our minds that we would hear this word washing over us and be encouraged as your people uh, to contend for the faith once for all, delivered to the saints. Lord, it is a faith that you give, for you are the one who keeps us. You are the one who delights in us, um, in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray, amen. Uh, Part of my morning routine, uh, after getting up, coming into the living room, I'll sit down in my favorite chair and turn on the one light uh, where I can read a little bit and have a little time in devotion. Uh, My wife will uh, sometimes refer to me with all affection as the man of darkness because I only turn on, you know, the minimum amount of light you need to get the job done typically. And so after about half an hour, 45 minutes or so, she comes into the main living area and we have window off to the right of this chair that has the blinds drawn, and then windows in the dining area that has the blinds drawn. And one of the first things she will do is go to the window 
and she'll open the blinds. And typically not just you know, the blinds are closed and opening them horizontal. She pulls the blinds all the way up. So this is my first opportunity to see what kind of day it is. Um, whether the sun is actually shining or not. And if the sun is shining, so imagine this with me. It doesn't happen a whole lot nowadays. But it comes through that dining room window and just illuminates the dining area and into um, the living room. Um, it's really refreshing when she does this. Um, say, ah, this is, the sun's out. It's a new day. Darkness is, you know, is given way to the light and the warmth of the sun. Uh, and the church that, that Jude is writing to, they are ready to hear these words. Uh, they are needing a reminder of God's greatness. The expanse of His grace. He just mentioned all the, the dangers of sin, how quickly it can contaminate, cause us to stumble, turn away from the love of God. Um, so it's a necessary warning, a strong warning. But now Jude brings the church, he brings you, he brings me to the window, and he throws open these blinds. The sun comes pouring in. You're like, ah, yes. This is what I needed. Unabashed praise and honor to the God who loves us, calls us, keeps us in the Lord Jesus. So in these verses, which you've likely heard many times at the end of a worship service, we see the glory of God on display and we share in His eternal joy. God shows us His glory. We share His joy. To Him who is able... To Him who is powerful enough to do this work. You say, well, what work is this? What is He able to do? To keep His very own. To guard and protect all those whom Jude has identified. Who He's writing to in verse 1. I take a walk in a neighborhood across the way here. Typically, I'll take the same route. I'll break left here down Bear Paw towards the school. And as I'm getting to the parking lot, it doesn't matter how many times I make this a walk... Um, there's a dog there that, that lunges at the fence. Usually scares me to death. And I'm, I'm, every, every time I go down there, I'm thankful for this six-foot fence between the sidewalk uh, and this backyard. And there are other neighborhoods that say, you know, beware of dog on the fence. Um, and I guess I appreciate the warning. Um, it doesn't make me feel very cozy or welcomed. But there's, there's a dog who may pounce if you... You get too close, get in this. He's on guard. And and Jude uses a slightly different word here for keep. It carries a similar sense. But the nuance is one of guarding and protecting. God is guarding the church from stumbling in sin, the sin that leads to death. This is where you might say, well, wait a minute, time out. I struggle with sin every day. I mean, we're only not quite halfway through a Sunday morning, and I've already been impatient with my spouse or my kids. I've been sharp with my words. I've been jealous, envious, maybe lazy, lustful in thought. Okay, I, I seem to be stumbling all the time. So what's going on here? Did I miss something? God's focus somewhere else. 
And there are some places in the New Testament where stumbling really is the, the failure to keep God's Word, to keep His law at all times in every places. It's true, places like James 2. But it's not what Jude uh, is saying here, why he's using this term. The promise is not that believers will never sin, but that God will guard His own from abandoning the faith altogether. By the Spirit of God in us, we are to put to death sin. We're to run from it, avoid its snares wherever, wherever we can, but we're still going to sin. That, that's not going to end this side of heaven. But when we do sin, we're protected by the strong hands of our God from this eternal ruin. So even though the false teachers may threaten, though our sin may ensnare us, those who truly belong to the Lord will endure. He will be faithful um, in keeping His own. The Apostle Paul, he says in 2 Timothy 1, that God is able, He's able to guard until that day of no more sinning what He has promised to us. The truth of the Gospel. That truth for you, that truth for me, for all those united to Christ, is fully realized on that day. We will be vindicated before the throne of God, standing before Him in righteous perfection. This, so this whole sanctification process, that will be complete on that great day. Um, this is where Jude takes us. To Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory. Okay, this is without blemish before the throne of God. And that's language that we've heard before, we should be familiar with in the Old Testament. It was a sacrifice, a sacrifice that was unblemished, that was required to come into the presence of God. And Leviticus is full of this sacrificial language and practice. Now just one verse three in Leviticus. If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish. He shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting, that he may be accepted before the Lord. To commune with God. To come into the presence of His glory requires the shedding of blood. It requires sacrifice. It's true of God's people in the Old Testament. It is true of God's people today. Now we've come into the presence of the Lord this morning. We've approached his throne in prayer. He's spoken to us through His Word. Yet we have not offered a blood sacrifice this morning, which would be a major problem. I mean, to, I mean that, that would be an unacceptable and condemnable offense. Intrusion into the holy presence of God. If not, for the grace of God Himself. And words like this from Hebrews 9. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of heifers sanctified for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? When you think about the Gospel and different ways of talking about the Gospel and introducing the Gospel, at some point, there must be blood. The blood of Jesus. 
the perfect sacrifice. So we can talk about what the gospel gives us, how the gospel makes us feel, the hope and the joy and the peace that's there, knowing Christ. But the good news is that God has done what we could never do for ourselves. In His love, He has made a way. And it is the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. It's the blamelessness of Jesus that we cling to. That's what qualifies Him to be both our high priest and our sacrifice. God has provided the unblemished sacrifice for you and for me that enables us to come into His presence right now, tomorrow, and every day hereafter. Our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. He is all sufficient. His sacrifice is all sufficient. No more shedding of blood is necessary. In fact, it would add, it would add nothing. It would only detract from the perfection that has already been offered. Because of this, Paul says in Colossians 1, we are presented holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. Presented before Him. Is that, is that the longing of your heart? To be with Jesus? To be in the very presence of God? To see Him face to face? I mean, this is the longing of all who follow after Christ, to all who live in union with Him. That personal communion forever in the presence of His glory that we are finally home, the presence of His glory that we're safe, it's where all our desires are satisfied. C.S. Lewis, uh, he makes a, a reflection as he's reflecting on the Psalms. He says that we have this appetite for God. And I think that's what Jude is really feeding with these words. It's an appetite for God in this doxology. See, we can grow apathetic we can start to lose our appetite for the glory of heaven in the face of our God. And we can see things and hear things often enough that we no longer see and we no longer hear. You know, most days if you stop to, to listen, you can hear the C-130s droning at our house, whether you're inside or outside, either on the ramp or in the pattern. And so after three years of living there, we don't really give that much thought anymore. If we're not careful, if we're not watchful, the things of God, the beauty of the gospel, what it demands, I mean, they'll just drone on in the background. We give it little attention. So let's keep praying. Let's keep praying for a hunger and thirsting after God. We would incline our hearts to Him. Not to overuse an illustration, but I'm going to do it anyway because it's on my mind. But if one of those C-130s gets a lot louder, gets close enough, well, I'm still looking out the window or maybe running outside because I want to see what's going on. I want to take more in. Okay? Jude's word here should be, be that for us. It's got our attention. It's tapped into our longings. So we want more. We want to... To see and experience this glory. Glory that's ours in Jesus. It's the Father's great joy to present us unblemished, fully restored in His presence. 
It's a movie, it's several decades old now, called Hook. About Peter Pan, he's played by Robin Williams. And he has grown up and he has forgotten Neverland. He's forgotten that he was ever Peter Pan. And his you know, great and worthy opponent, Captain Hook. And so Peter is taken back to Neverland and the lost boys are trying to help him remember who it is he really is. And he's standing there at one point and he gets hit in the head with a baseball. He'll do it every time. He gets hit with a baseball and he crawls over to the pool where the baseball is resting. And he looks over the edge and he sees a reflection. But he doesn't see the reflection of a grown man you know, with the wrinkles and the glasses. and He sees a young boy. And he can't believe this. He refuses to believe it. And so he reaches, he's, he's touching his face and the, and the boy is, is following in turn. It's him. He's the boy. The one that so many others believed him to be and he couldn't see until that very moment. Church family, that moment is coming for us. The moment when God, the only one who is able to do this, will present us to Himself as perfect, unblemished reflections of Jesus. He sees us. He sees us through the perfection of Christ now. But that day is coming and we'll see it too. Not dimly through a mirror or through a quiet pool of water, but face to face with our Lord, with our King. So God shows us His glory and He shares His eternal joy with us. What we see by faith now, the joy we have in Jesus right now, will be fully realized in that glorious presence of our God. You know, most places in the New Testament describe Jesus as the Savior. You could go to Luke 2 or John 4, Acts 5. But there are other places where, where Savior is actually attributed to God. Luke 1, 1 Timothy 1, here's Titus, uh, Titus 3. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. So our God, the only God, rescues us from sin and destruction through Jesus Christ. He's the only one who can do this, the only one who can rescue. He's utterly unique in this. The only one worthy of of our worship. I saw a few clips of someone who was interviewing uh, groups of, of folks in Salt Lake City, Utah, or groups of folks as well as individuals, and he was asking them uh, a question. He said, could God the Father have been sinful like you or like me? And every one of them answered, well, well yeah. Yeah, he could have sinned like, and, and through his his obedience, or he was able to, to somehow meet this, this standard to attain this level of divinity, to become God the Father. But he was like us, struggle with sin like we do. And so the follow-up question to that, well, does that make it harder to worship him, knowing that he was like us, all the human failings like us? They say, well, no, no, it encourages us. It gives us hope knowing that it's possible. That we could somehow do the same. We admire Him more for that. Beloved, this is not the only God, our Savior, that they speak of. This is not 
the Holy One of Israel, who alone is God, who alone is without sin. See, we admire things that we think we have some control over. We admire those who bear our likeness. We do not admire God. He is our Creator. He is the Transcendent One. He is holy, utterly unique, robed in majesty and power and authority. We will fall on our faces and worship this God. And our worship is only magnified because while keeping His majesty and power and glory and authority, sinless perfection, He takes on our likeness. He comes to us, restores, heals what has been shattered by our sin. Frees us to live in this joy of our salvation. Hebrews 12 tells us that it was for the joy set before Jesus that He endured the cross. So His joy is not in the experience. His joy was in the obedience and reward of His of his suffering. He says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. The joy of Jesus is the very glory of God. The glory of his salvation given to us who have been kept by his love. Now we share in this joy. There will be no greater joy than when we stand before the face of our Savior, just engulfed in His glory. The prophet Isaiah anticipates this. He speaks of the joy and gladness of God's people who are restored to Him. Psalms are just replete with joy. One example, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So Jude gives us a snapshot of this fullness. Joy that we'll share with our Savior. And He's going to receive all the praise due His name. Really, these verses are one of the most concise summaries we have anywhere of what God has accomplished for us. and just moves us to delight and to praise. The last half of verse 25 there, Jude ends by sharing what God receives from us now. What He receives from His church. To Him be glory, honor, beauty, righteousness. All these things are wrapped up in that term. And are ascribed to Him. And then one one commentator, uh, he made this note. He said, such glory refers to the public reputation or fame. So this should be known. This should be publicly expressed in all of creation. Majesty speaks of His His greatness and worthiness, His authority, His ruler, sovereign over all. So each of these attributes has always belonged to our God. They're His forever. He'll rule forever and forever be praised for such a great salvation. We made it to the Robinson Center last week. We heard some of the more well-known Broadway numbers uh, and it was accompanied by the Arkansas Symphony Orchestra. Uh, there are some powerhouse vocalists uh, that were there. And, and Hugh Panero was the male vocalist. And he is, he is the phantom of the opera over the last like 20 years. 
Um, I think he has something like 2,000 uh, performances as the Phantom of the Opera. And he sang some of uh, the music from that, um, from that musical. And it was just incredible to listen to. I was just in awe of this guy's voice. Um, the masterful way that he used this voice. It made me want to learn more. It made me want to, to sing more. Um, when we're in awe and wonder, it moves us to enjoy the source of that wonder. Maybe pursue that source a little bit more. And so Jude leaves us in awe and wonder of our God. We want to pursue Him and enjoy Him, praise Him more. And we praise those things that, that we value, that we want others to join us in praising. Did you hear His voice? Wasn't that fantastic? We want others to praise God for what we see in Him. We want them to praise God for what we hear from Him through His Word. We want them to join us in praise, to join us in this eternal doxology to our God. For He is all glory and majesty and authority. He alone is worthy. So after hearing you know, about all those in the church who are pretending, twisting the grace of God, Starting, starting to follow Christ, but stumbling away. This is, this is sweet water for the soul to end this way. I mean, what, what more could Jude really say at this point? What greater praise, what greater hallelujah could he offer to the church than to contemplate the very greatness of God? And here's where, you know, contemplating the greatness of God and His glory and contending for the faith, they go together. They must go together. If we're going to contend for the faith, we must have a high and exalted view of who God is and what He has done in Jesus. When we're in awe of His majesty. It moves us to praise. We're more than ready to contend for the faith. So just let, let this doxology just wash over you this morning. Every time you hear it, may it give you hope, um, fresh resolve uh, to finish well in the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we do praise You. With what what greater words could we offer You praise than what we have just heard and reflected on this morning? To You be all glory and majesty and power and authority. You are worthy of our praise and we are in awe of You. For only You could present us to Yourself unblemished. Only in You and in Your presence do we find joy inexpressible. Lord, You've tapped into the longing of our hearts through this Word. And we are grateful. May it grow our joy in You these moments. May it increase our our hope and our confidence that that day is coming and it is coming soon when we will be a perfect reflection of our Savior in His presence forever. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.